Hello, hello. Hello. Testing. How's that? Is that good? Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Michael. Thank you for saying as much. How is everyone? All right. Hey, we only got a few days till Christmas, which uh, how many for here, Christmas is like your thing. It's like your favorite holiday. You're going to pick a holiday. Christmas is it. Raise your hand. Really? Wow. What's the other holiday? Easter. Easter's kind of big. I'd submit to that. Easter's kind of big. Well, uh, I'm very excited. I love Christmas uh, time. Uh, time family usually comes into town, so I'm looking forward to seeing family uh, this coming week. Um, uh, before I start, we're going to start a, a very short, uh, taking a break from Romans. Uh, this past fall, we've been walking through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, and uh, hopefully it's been uh, encouraging, challenging, and beneficial. Uh, but uh, today we're going to do something just called All I Want for Christmas. Uh, and I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank here in a second, so be mentally prepared. Uh, but let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into uh, one of uh, the few Christmas uh, narratives in Scripture. Uh, God, I just give thanks uh, for uh, everyone that is here in this place today. Uh, God, would you just fill this place with your presence, God, that uh, there be a great sense of joy and excitement um, over who you are, over what you're doing. And uh, God, more than anything, that we can have a relationship uh, with you. Uh, God, I'd love that uh, you know each of us. You know our heart, our soul. God, you know the condition uh, we're in in this place today. So, God, would you just bless us, be generous with your voice to speak to each of us. Uh, God, to encourage, uh, maybe even to challenge, maybe even to convict. Uh, But, God, I pray that each of us would hear uh, from you in this place today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so fill in the blank, if you would. And you're actually going to have some participation here, please. Is all I want for Christmas a telescope? All right. All I want for Christmas, what are some other things? You fill in the blank. All I want is what? Joe Gore. Joe Gore. All right. Let's keep it under control here, please. (laughs) Well... Joe, wherever you are, I hope you feel loved, but uh, Becca has Joe, so. Outside of a telescope and uh, maybe Joe Gore, is there anything else? Fill in the blank, seriously, as you consider, I mean, this is a time where it's safe to say all of us are thinking about presents, whether presents we're hoping to get, uh, hoping to receive uh, this coming week. Maybe some of us are thinking about the presents that uh, we're actually going to pass out uh, and give away, family or friends or our kids. Um, So what are some things, I'm being totally serious, what are some things all I want for Christmas is what? It only happens once a year. It's the time where, generally speaking, you're going to get a gift from somebody. Um, So what are some things you want? More time. More time. All right. This is going to be a really fun day today, I can tell. (laughs) Maybe I should pray. No, we've already done that. Um, One more. What else do you want for Christmas? Snow. All right, snow. That's legit. I know it's probably weird maybe shouting it out, uh, as it were, but uh, it's safe to say we're all thinking uh, about 
presents. And uh, the good news is you still have a few days uh, before, you know, Christmas time to give them away. But this morning, uh, I want to, there's really a few passages that uh, talk about the Christmas story, the Christmas narrative when God came to man. There's uh, a lot of Old Testament uh, passages that refer to that God one day would send a Savior, a Redeemer, uh, would literally step forth into time and space. Uh, and then, interesting, in the New Testament, uh, really Matthew and uh, the Gospel of Luke record the actual birth and the events surrounding uh, Jesus Christ coming into time and space. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at one of those uh, stories in, in uh, the middle of Luke chapter 1. But this morning, I want to focus in actually just on one gift. And it's a gift I don't think that uh, probably many people are thinking about. Um, and it's specifically the gift of mission. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by the gift of mission. But before I walk through and look at the, the text we're going to look at, uh, I believe that God has a gift for all of us. And not just one gift. We're going to look at one gift today. Um, if you're a parent, and maybe if you just have brothers or sisters and they're just much younger, it's really interesting on Christmas they get so excited about the gift that usually parents are having to tell their kids, oh, hang on a second, stop, go tell your mom or your dad or grandpa or whoever gave that to you, go tell them thank you. They get so excited about the gifts that they completely ignore the giver. And it's very easy to do. You get wrapped up in the excitement and the fun and all of that, that you completely neglect the giver of the gift. And this morning, before I jump into the gift of mission that I believe God has for all of us, uh, I just want to say one hopefully simple but maybe profound thing for you about the giver, and it's very simply this. The giver uh, is very generous, uh, the giver being God. I believe very much that when we consider God, generosity is not one of the things that we consider to be an attribute or characteristic of God. Uh, there are many people who believe, and you might be one, that God He's got nothing to give me, or at least I've never gotten anything from God. Or maybe it's just the thought or the mentality that God is actually holding out on me. And if I believe that, I start to actually live my life in light of that. Since he's not giving, I'm going to start grabbing whatever I think I need, whatever I think I want, whenever I need or want it. But if I believe that the giver, being God, is generous, then what happens with me is I stop grabbing and I'm now freed up to start receiving everything that a generous giver, meaning a generous God, would have to give to me. So that's a very simple, but for me, it has really changed my relationship with God when I started to understand the generosity of God and that he's very gracious and how generous he is because he's not generous based on what I do or don't do. It is in his nature to give. It is in his nature to be generous. And if I really believe that, then I stop grabbing. And rather than just grabbing and kind of holding things tight-fisted, thinking that somehow I might lose it or he'll take it from me, I can live life very just open-handed and receive anything and everything at any moment, at any time that God would have to give me. So I want you to know that about the giver. So as we walk through the section in Luke chapter 1, Please keep in heart and mind, at the very center, we're talking about a very generous God 
and he's got great gifts to give us. And specifically this morning, uh, I'm looking at uh, the gift of mission. Uh, If you have a Bible, we'll put up uh, the scripture on the screen. Uh, This is the story of Mary uh, found in Luke uh, chapter two or Luke chapter one, starting at verse 26. Much like anytime you hear a story that you're really, really familiar with, you kind of tune out because you've heard it before. And you know the story so well that you don't really listen to or try to understand or discover maybe new things that you've never thought about or maybe never understood before. And so as I read a story that's probably very familiar to many people, it's a story of Mary, an angel comes and visits her, tells her that she's going to be with child and that she's going to name this child Jesus. So it's good chance you've heard this story before, but as we read this story today, uh, I'm going to do something maybe a little bit different, and I want to challenge you to listen to the story because there's three questions that I'm going to answer and hopefully ask as we go through the story. And the first question is this, what does this story, what does this narrative, what does it ultimately say about God? So as I read these few verses, keep that question in mind. What is this story, what is it revealing, what is it saying about God? Secondly, the second question is, what does this story say about Mary? Like, what do I know? What do I learn? What are some things that Luke records about this young girl named Mary? I'll probably cover this not much in detail later, but we're talking about somewhere around a 14 to 16-year-old girl. I think when we picture Mary, we picture older Mary, or we picture maybe a Mary in her mid-20s to early 30s. We're talking about a young 8th grade, ninth grade girl, at best a high school age girl. So what do we learn about God? What do we learn about Mary? And then hopefully a very practical question how do I apply this story to me? How does this Christmas story, this Christmas narrative, what does it have to do with me and how I'm living my life? So as I read, please keep those questions, revealing about God, revealing about Mary, and what's it saying to me? Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, sixth month being uh, Mary had a relative uh, named Elizabeth who became pregnant as well. Uh, She, though, was in a very old age. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Dramatic pause there for a minute. An angel shows up to and greets this 15-year-old girl. You are highly favored. Verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. I can't imagine what Mary at this point in time would be thinking. This news of everything that she has just heard. 
about the pregnancy and about who this child would actually be. And Mary only has really two voices in here, one question and one statement, and here's her question, verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary's response in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Three questions. Go through this uh, quickly. But the first question was very simply, what is this familiar story What does it say? What does it reveal to us about God? And there's four things. I'll tell you what Luke reveals to us about who God is through these few verses. And the first one is just simply this. God is active. God, another way to say that, God is active or God is a missional God. For thousands of years, the people of God uh, living in the surrounding area Uh, of Israel, the people of Israel believed that God had abandoned them, that God had left them. All of these promises that came from God that he would redeem and he would save and he would rescue, it had been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and they hadn't heard anything from God. So there was a wondering on the people's hearts and minds, is God even doing anything? Is God active? And I love it, how it says in uh, chapter 1, Verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. God sent, okay? God is active, God is sending, God is missional. And I love that the very first person to even hear about the activity of God is a young high school girl, 15 years of age at best. The first person to hear and know, have the plan revealed, is this 15-year-old girl. So any thoughts or ideas that God is not active or that God had abandoned is now about to be cleared up in what he is doing with this angel Gabriel. So verse 26, six months, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. What I love about God's activity is it was in his time, not our time. We often want God to be active now. But in God's sovereign will, in his sovereign infinite wisdom, his time, bless you, is always right and is always best. I love how Paul said it in Galatians. He says in uh, Galatians chapter 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. God is generous. God is active and that he sent his son, and Paul highlights two things, to redeem and that we would receive, that we would be redeemed back to relationship with God, and we would receive from God the right to be called a child of God, a son or daughter of God. So the first thing that I believe this narrative in Luke 1 teaches is God is active, God is missional, God sends. Number two is this, God is present. Now, the way to say that is just God is close. God is near. The angel, in verse 28, went to her, Mary, and said, 
Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have, this is a question from speculation, so it's hard to say yes or no, but do you believe that Mary really understood or believed that God was present with her? Or do you think that Mary was just kind of going about the routine of her normal everyday life? Do you think she had a sense, wow, God is really with me in this no-name town, in this no-name village. God is with me because I come from a poor family. I have no education. I'm illiterate. No money. Do I, do I really believe that God is with me? Or am I just going through the routine of every single of everyday life. I'm guessing the latter. I, I don't have a verse that, that says that, but I just sense probably Mary was just being Mary, doing what Mary did as a young girl, not anticipating, certainly not expecting this to happen. But what the angel tells her is that God is present or he is near. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I can only imagine Mary thinking to herself, really? God is really with me. One of the things that I've learned about God being near, God being close, or just the presence of God in my life is his presence is not, whether I I realize it, acknowledge it, know it, feel it or not, that doesn't mean that God is anywhere less close or, or more close. Another way just to say that is my, uh, my understanding of the presence of God, God is present regardless of I know it or not. One truth that Scripture teaches throughout the Scripture is God is near. God is present at all times in all places. And in the whole story of God, that is a comforting truth to people like Noah, to people like Abraham, to people like uh, Moses, to people like Joshua, to, to women like Ruth. King David, the prophets, Jesus himself, the proximity, the nearness, the closeness of God brought them great, great comfort. C.S. Lewis said this uh, about the closeness of God, the presence of God. We may ignore, but we can nowhere evade the presence of God. So whether Mary knew it or she didn't know it, the reality, the fact, the truth is, God was with her. And the beauty of what happens at Christmas time, what we celebrate, is that God came near, that God came close. I think John, uh, uh, the disciple John, said it really well in, in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As I have relationship with Jesus, I have relationship with God. As I walk with him, I'm walking in the very presence of God. Number one, God is active. Number two, God is present. Number three, already alluded to this, but God is gracious to all. If you have any idea or thoughts that God is just not gracious, this text here, these few verses, should just wipe that that lie away, that God is a gracious God. And what I love about his example here of grace is not only gracious to Mary, he's gracious into an entire community. Um, this is an Old Testament prophet uh, named Micah, about 700 years before the coming of Christ, said this, But you, Bethlehem, 
Epiphrath, through you, are, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. A town that was certainly not even on the map, not even recognizable. This is the town in which God would come. We look at Mary. Okay, So not only was Bethlehem a recipient of God's grace, but so too would Mary be a recipient of God's grace. Have you ever wondered why Mary? What was it? And I'm not trying to quote a movie title here, but what is it really about Mary? Right? Why her? Of all of the people on the planet, why did God choose, select Mary? Okay, Luke's already recorded that Mary is highly favored, and then in verse 30, he says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Young girl, illiterate, uneducated, poor town, poor family, no, no, no family that we really know of. Why Mary? And I think the thing that we learn about that, the answer to that question of why Mary is grace. That's it. There is no explanation for why Mary. It wasn't something that she did or didn't do. It was an example, just like Bethlehem, an example of the grace of God in Mary's life. So when Scripture records these two phrases of highly favored and favor with God, it just means simply God's grace was with Mary, was all over Mary. It was the grace of God that Mary was chosen by God to bring birth to Jesus. That's it. There's no, there's no other reason except the grace of God. Charles Spurgeon said this uh, about grace. We hold that a man is never so near grace as when he begins to feel he can do nothing at all. Meaning when I start to believe, man, there's just nothing I can do to make God love me more or make God love me less. There's just nothing I can do. It's all because of his grace. That's when I will finally start to get grace. Any thoughts that I can do things to make God more favorable to me, I don't get grace. I understand performance, but I don't get grace. If I have thoughts that I can do things that somehow God will love me less, well, I get things like condemnation, and I get things like guilt, but I don't get grace. One of the things that this Christmas narrative teaches us in asking the question, why Mary? What is it about her? The only answer to that question is it's a demonstration of the grace of God at work with and in and through Mary. That's it. So that was number three, God is gracious. And the last one, God is able. Number four, God is able. Another way to say that is nothing is impossible with God. I don't know if you can say that and maybe intellectually believe that nothing is impossible with God. But a challenge to myself, a challenge to each of us is, is that really reflected in the way I live my life? Do I really live in such a way where I believe that there is absolutely nothing that is impossible with God? This is what the angel says to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob 
forever. His kingdom will never end. Three times in the story, it is mentioned that Mary is a virgin. This does not match up with the birds and the bees that I was taught. Okay, if you are going to have a child or be with child, virginity, they don't go coincide together. Three times it, it says clearly that this woman is a virgin, but God is telling her, but you are going to be with child. Three times God says a virgin will be with child. Why does that matter? If Jesus was in fact born of a virgin, if that really, really happened, it changes everything. Uh, former uh, CNN talk show uh, host Larry King was interviewed years and years ago and asked him the question, Larry, if you could ask Jesus anything, what would you ask Jesus? And Larry King responded by saying, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history. Outside of the resurrection of Christ, the most hotly debated topic, the most hotly debated miracle is the virgin birth. If there was a virgin birth, everything changes. Everything in history, according to Larry King, would be defined by that. The reality is Jesus did define history. And I'm going to give this to you very quickly because I want you to understand just how important this virgin birth is. Remember, this is under the title, God is able, nothing is impossible with him. Because Jesus was born of the Spirit of God, he was protected from inheriting what we have being a sin nature, meaning that he was holy from the moment of when the, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary Jesus was holy, meaning he was God. So at the virgin birth, we see that Jesus did not inherit a sin nature, that he is completely holy, absolutely pure, fully God. The second implication is because Jesus was born of a woman, he's also fully man. And so what we see in Jesus is fully God, fully man. Jesus is, in fact, the God-man. Oswald Chambers Chambers, when talking about the virgin birth, said this. I think this is helpful. Jesus Christ was born into this world, not from it. Let me say that again. Jesus was born into this world, not from it. He did not evolve out of history. He came into history from the outside. Jesus Christ is not the best human being. He is a being who cannot be accounted for by the human race at all. He is not Man becoming God, but God incarnate. God coming into human flesh, coming into it from the outside. His life is the highest and the holiest, entering in at the lowliest door. I know that was a long quote, but what I want us to see in the virgin birth is that Jesus Christ is both fully God, absolutely holy and pure, and Jesus Christ, secondly, is fully man. Now, I'll just go back to the, the statement that God is able, nothing is impossible with God. One of the beautiful things in Scripture is every time that man thinks that something is impossible, the possibility of God enters into the story. And impossible things happen. And this birth story with Mary, it's phenomenal because there's many women in Scripture from Sarah to Elizabeth, 
Old Testament to New Testament, who were well beyond childbearing years. Sarah, in the Old Testament, wife of Abraham, was roughly about 90 years old, well beyond childbearing years. Elizabeth was around the same age, a little bit younger. But God had promised that you would have a child. But it's impossible. I'm barren, and I'm well beyond childbearing years. But the impossibility happened because all things with God, he's able. It's possible. But a virgin birth, that's there's a difference between being barren and then getting pregnant again by or pregnant with your husband. But a virgin birth. This was Mary's one question. If you only had one question, if this is you're Mary, you're getting all of this information and you only had one question to ask, what would your question be? For Mary, her question was simply this. How I'm not arguing with you, Gabriel. I'm not disagreeing with you. But the the fact remains, I'm a virgin. I've kept myself pure. Gabriel, how is it possible that a virgin could be with child? And Gabriel was, well, thank you for asking. Let me explain. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I have to be thinking that Mary was like, wow, what is that experience going to be like? Is that going to be painful? Am I going to know when that happens? He goes on to explain. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is, in, is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. If this story had not landed in Weirdville yet, It's definitely now taken a turn towards there. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow me, and I am going to conceive. I will be with child. How does that work? What does that mean? What does that look like? The beautiful thing about Mary is she gets her one question answered. No further explanation of some of the details. Her response to Gabriel was just, let it be as you have said. She got her answer. She wanted to know how something would be possible. Gabriel said, this is how. And he said, remember, nothing is impossible with God. One of the things that I've uh, uh, just learned over the years, especially just in recent years, as it comes to this idea of God is able, that God, nothing is impossible with God. One of the things that I've just learned is God doesn't overwhelm me with his power. I consider Mary, he could have like zapped her. She just could have had the baby right there on the spot. Do you know that Mary still had to go through nine months of pregnancy? She still had to go through all of the nausea that comes with pregnancy, all of the physical hormonal changes that happens. She still had to go through all of that. One of the things that I want you to know about the that God is able, the power of God, is that he involves you in the process of his power. He allows us, allowed Mary for nine months to experience this pregnancy. So for nine months, she could sit with, God, the presence and the power of God at work in my life. John Newton, who is the author of um, Amazing Grace, said this about uh, the power of God. He said, God works powerfully, but for the most part, gently 
and gradually. God wants to involve you in his power on display. Those are four things. God is active, God is present, God is gracious, and God is able. When I read that story, these are the things that I learn about God in the story. That God is active, he's missional, that God is present, God is gracious, and God is able. Meaning nothing is impossible with him. Now the second question, and we'll wrap up here. What about Mary? What, what, is, what do you learn about Mary? There's so much that could be said about Mary. Certainly her humility, her willingness to serve. There's so much you could say about Mary. But there's only one thing that I want to say about Mary. And it's just simply this. She said, okay. <laughs> she said, yes. Mary is not someone that we are to worship because she was uh, the birth mother of Jesus. She's not to be worshipped because she's some great example. Uh, but what Mary does for us is very simply, she does give us an example to mimic or to follow. Not to worship, but to follow. She said yes, that's it. She said okay. I think two powerful letters in your relationship with God is O and K. If we learn to say okay to God, the dynamic of my relationship with God changes from just always telling God, but this, what about this, when this, how this. If you want to see change or transformation in your relationship with God, learn to start saying to God, okay, God, if that's what you have for me, if that's what you want me to do, if that's what you want me to give, if that's where you want me to go, okay. I don't even need all the details. Why? Because, God, I know you are active. God, because I know you are present. God, because I know you're gracious. And God, I know that you can do all things. So my response to you, God, is very simply, okay. I promise you, as you learn these two letters... Your relationship, your dynamic with God will dramatically change from doubts and arguing and wondering and being frustrated to, you know what? Okay, God, if this is what you have, Mary's response in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. And by the way, just so you know, what Mary said okay to, what she said yes to, it was not an easy thing because it could mean a possible death. Women in that culture who were pregnant out of wedlock were usually stoned according to Old Testament law. So by saying yes, she's saying yes to a potential death sentence. She's saying yes to the possibility of a divorce. How do I explain to my husband, who we clearly have not been intimate, that I'm pregnant, how do I explain that to him? So she's facing the possibility of death, divorce, saying yes to the definite of disgrace. Can you imagine the dirty looks that Mary would have gotten? We played a, a silly, cute video this morning. How many friends would unfriend her? The disgrace that comes with what she's saying, but I'm pregnant, it's with God's child. You would rule her out as crazy. Death, divorce, disgrace. 
How about just simply direction? But God, my life is going this way. I just, I'm getting married to a pretty good man named Joseph. We've got a, a great house in the suburbs here. And you want me to do what? God, I can't do that. That's going to change my plans. My plan is simple to keep it simple. Have a husband, have a few kids, a white picket fence in, in Nazareth. That's the ideal. God, you're interrupting me. Death, divorce, disgrace, direction. She simply just said, okay. Verse 38, one last time. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. The last question that I asked was, what do we know about God in this story? He's active, meaning he's missional. He's present. He's with us. He is gracious to all, and he's powerful. He is able to do anything and everything that he says. What we learn about Mary is just simply, she said, okay to God. Simply this, the last question, how does this all apply to me? What does this ultimately have to do with the gift of mission? I believe very much what God did for Mary was a gift that he gave to her. Now, some might argue, like, well, death, divorce, disgrace, total change of direction in her life is not a gift from God. It's actually, might even seem cruel. Mary saw what God was doing in her life as a phenomenal gift, and she writes a song about it. Read just a few verses in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Mary said yes, and what she said yes to was, I understand this is a gift from God for me. And she received it as such. Now, what does this have to do with a gift of mission? It's a good chance God is not going to ask any one of us to do what Mary did. That's done. Jesus has come. You don't have to worry about that. But what I see in the gift of mission is that Mary received Jesus. The gift that we're going to actually talk about a lot more on Christmas Eve is the gift that we have in receiving Jesus. But the gift of mission, I'll just finish with this, this last thing, is if this really happened, if 2,000 years ago, God stepped into space and time, revealing that he is active, that he came, he sent his son to redeem so that we would receive the rights of being children of God. If God was active and stepped into history, if God was present, if God is, is uh, gracious, if God is able, if all of this really happened, then either this is just going to be a story for me once a year that I consider and I smile at when the Christmas tree and the Christmas lights go up, or this is going to be a story that radically alters and changes how I live my life. Meaning I will no longer live just for my small story. If this really happened, then I can't live my life anymore as if this is just to be talked about once a year. 
What I believe the gift of mission that we can receive at Christmas time is not to make much of this story just once a year, but to make much of this every single day of my life. Because if this happened, everything changes. I can't just operate as if everything is normal once again, because it's not. If God intervened, and he did, and he did so to redeem me, which he did in Jesus, then everything changes. Last question was simply, how does one live their life in light of what took place 2,000 years ago? Live the story. Simply that, live in light of what God has revealed about himself. Don't live life acting like God is not active. Don't live life acting like God is not present. Don't live life acting like God is not gracious. And don't live life acting like God is not all-powerful. Live the story. Live in such a way where you know that God is at work, where you know God is present, where you know God is gracious and he's powerful. Live the story, not once a year, every day. And secondly, tell the story. I just see a lot of people, and I used to be in this camp, living my life to make, to try to be somebody. I wanted to be somebody until I realized I wasn't created to be somebody, but I was created to know somebody. And when I stopped living to be somebody and I knew somebody, God, I started living now not to make much of this small somebody, but to make much of him. You're going to see this on Christmas, on December 26th. Is it more fun for you to open the gifts or is it more fun for you to tell other people about the gift you received? It's certainly fun. I love opening presents, but that lasts all of five seconds. But it's the stories that are told on the 26th and 27th and 28th. And it's often the stories get way embellished and you're like, wow, I didn't know I really enjoyed this gift as much as I'm telling this person I enjoyed it. I love receiving the gift, but I find so much joy in telling others about the gift that I have received. Paul, last verse I'll share with you is from Philemon. This was his prayer. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. When I begin to tell the story, when I begin to live my life about the mission, when I begin to tell others about the activity of God, the presence of God, the grace of God, the ability, the power of God, when I begin to tell other people about that, as Paul says, I begin to have full understanding of everything that I have in Christ. I cannot just receive a gift and not tell and talk about it. The gift was meant to be received and given. So as you head into literally Christmas week, we celebrate Christmas Eve, Friday night. We'll celebrate Christmas with your family and friends. As you walk into this Christmas week, know that God is gracious and generous to give. He's given us the gift of his son, Jesus. But he's also given us the gift of mission. I want to pray. We're going to celebrate communion and continue in worship. And as we just 
are praying, I just ask you to be silent, to be quiet, and just where you're sitting. If it's been a, a long time that you've even acknowledged and said to God, wow, thank you for the gift you have given me. God, thank you for showing up. God, thank you for being active, for being present, for being gracious, for being willing. Offer that prayer to God. And ask God to give you the courage and the strength to be a storyteller because you have a story to tell. And it's not about a small somebody, it's about the somebody. And if you're here today, and you're hearing this language of God is generous, God is gracious, and you've never received a gift from God, then open your heart today just to say, God, if you have a gift from me, and it's the gift of you, it's the gift of your son, receive it today. Father God, I just give you thanks that in a story that is certainly familiar to many of us that are sitting here, God, I just thank you that uh, the story says so much more about you. God, that you are active. You sent your son into time and space so that redemption would be a possibility that we might receive your son Jesus, that we would be called sons and daughters. God, I give thanks that you are a God who is present. God, that you are with us, no matter where we are, what we do, where we go. God, that you are present in our lives. And God, I give thanks that you are gracious to all, not because of what we've done or haven't done, but because that's who you are. It's a gracious God. God, thank you for the story of how you revealed yourself to Mary. God, thank you for just the grace at work in her life. As she said, yes, she said, okay. God, I just give thanks that you came to redeem each of us, to restore us to a relationship with you, to reconcile us back to right relationship with you. God, I just give thanks that you are active. Help us to see your activity around us as we'd go from this place. God, I pray that uh, as we would leave here, all of us would know, God, that you are very present. No matter where we are and what we're doing, God, you are with us. You are present. God, I give thanks that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. We give thanks for that. And God, I just give thanks that you are able to accomplish anything and everything that you say. God, thank you for the story. God, thank you for your story. And as we leave here, God, help us to tell the story. Help us to tell your story. God, I know there will be many people in here today traveling uh, to different family and friends. So, God, I just pray that uh, traveling mercies on each of us. God, to the different family and friends, neighbors that we'll see this week, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. God, I just pray that we would love people well. God, that we would be a blessing as you have blessed us. God, as we have been encouraged, we would encourage those that we will be around this week. God, fill us with more of your grace so that we can be gracious to those that we will see and interact with this week. Jesus, thank you so much. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I know some of you guys won't be around uh, the rest of this week because you will be traveling. So uh, have a great time with family and friends wherever you might be going. Have certainly a great Christmas. And... um, If you do see some kids running around, 
uh, please encourage them as they've been working hard on uh, their Genesis Kids uh, music that they did for us today. So give them a high five, put some knuckles out there. Don't hit them, hit their knuckles. <laughs> no striking children here. Um, and just have a great Christmas. Uh, we'll be here Christmas Eve at uh, 6 o'clock for a really special candlelit service. Uh, so I hope you can join us and invite a neighbor or family to come with you. Uh, but if you're traveling, just have a great time wherever you are. God bless. Peace out.